This is The Week Ahead, brought to you by Advisorpedia and powered by Tomatica Research. I'm Chris Versace, Tomatica's Chief Investment Officer, and once again, by my side and along for the ride, who can decipher a Fed monetary policy statement faster than a speeding bullet? That's right. Put your hands together for the one, the only, Lenore Hawkins. Lenore, what is got? See, it worked. It totally worked. I got you. How could I possibly live up to that? I don't know, but somehow I have a feeling that over the next, however long this conversation is, you'll do it in spades because you, you always do. So welcome back to the United States. People don't need to know why you're back to the United States, but you are. I hear you got your vaccine. First one. Congratulations. Join yeah. the club. Go USA. Woo-hoo. But but Lenore, talk to me about this past week that we, we finished up because it was extremely busy. Uh, you know, Biden spoke, the Fed spoke. Yeah. We had, you know, at one point, I think we had more than 10% of the S&P 500 report on a single day. Yeah, yeah. So much going on. And we ended the month of April. So hey, yep. do what you do so well and help us put some context and perspective around this. Yeah. And uh, this year, so far, a third over. Whoa. Say that again. We're a third way through 2021. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. You mean we're just 16 months into 2020. <laughs> that is a, is a very true statement. <laughs> yeah. The, the so, only other big, the only big, other big surprising thing on this is, um, and I, I know you're going to get to this later, but Bitcoin up 80% year to date. Crazy. Yeah. No, that's just, well, it's um, probably going to keep, I mean, obviously it's Bitcoin. So a lot of volatility. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised to see it ending the year a whole hell of a lot higher than it is today. But outside of Bitcoin, um, last week's performance, it was really, as it's been for most of the year, it was really all about market cap. And here, smaller is better. <laughs> the top performing index was actually, are you ready for this? The Russell Microcap Index. And that outperformed the Dow by about a factor of 3x, a little over 3x. I mean, that's just amazing Mm. to me. Um, And even in between those two extremes, market caps just been really strongly correlated with performance. Um, Small caps have been performing the best so far this year and large cap really just not doing as well, not able to keep up. Um, That's what we've seen last week, the year to date. And even though towards the end of the first quarter, we kind of saw the opposite play out a little bit. There was a short reversal. We reverted back to smaller is better. And I I was going to say, I think that's a little surprising because coming out of 2020, you know, big tech was all the rage. We we had that little kerfuffle earlier in the year with uh, treasuries. And I think people expected big tech to, you know, continue to push forward, but you're right. It was really the Russell and it's, small cap constituents that have, I mean, they have been the performer year to date. Well, it kind of makes sense when you think about, first off, 2020, who was going to survive that? Like you needed to be big and you needed to be tech because tech could handle what was happening mm-hmm. with the pandemic, right? You don't want to be like in big well, not, industrial, not, you don't want to be not just Not just handle, but if we think about how we had to pivot our lives, tech was oh, the they answer. Thrived. Yeah, tech was yeah. absolutely the answer. So, so big tech did really well. And also those companies that are very large, had more access to capital, a little bit easier for them to to get through the tough stuff. But now we're having a very different dynamic in that the U.S. economy is in a much different shape 
than the rest of the world. And we'll get to that a little bit later. So with the domestic economy being so much stronger on a relative basis, even though it's, it's, it's not super, I mean, we're still, we're still recovering. We're still trying to get out. Unemployment not so great. With the domestic economy doing so great compared to the rest of the world, it really is kind of a, a domestic story. And what we've actually seen, even though we keep talking about all these really lofty valuations, is that the micro cap ETF is actually the top performing ETF if you're looking at market by macro caps over the last week and also year to date. And it's also the only ETF that isn't overbought and it's just barely above its 50 day moving average. So that's really different. Um, hmm. We've also seen where the NASDAQ market is, is now, because you know the NASDAQ has really been kind of the, where it was the strongest performer in 2020. It's been struggling a little bit more, right? It's the, those large tech the NASDAQ Composite is starting to push up against its February peak. And it's the only major stock index that hasn't yet kind of cleared that early peak. Any pullback from the current level is probably going to mean that we're going to have some more sideways consolidation. What, what's interesting on that, and we'll, we'll get to some companies that this happened to in a little bit, but last week, companies that even though they delivered r- unbelievable year-over growth, more yeah, than 40%, kind of like, <laughs> more than 50%. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, oh, that's all you got, huh? And what have you done for me it, lately? Yeah, yeah. It, it's fascinating to me. And, and when we get to them, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, the different sets of numbers, you know, formal consensus, whisper numbers and other things. But when the market kind of shrugs, when companies put up such stellar performance, I, I think it goes hand in hand with what you're saying about the resistance that the NASDAQ in particular is about to hit. Yeah, there's just been, there's, there is a blow my mind story <laughs> priced in. <laughs> and if it's shy of, it's not like blow oh. my mind and then some. <laughs> no, but, but, but it's fair though, right? Because yeah. well, they when, weren't when doing you, blow my mind. They well, were doing it in 2020. Well, ab- absolutely true, right? But when you've got, you know, the Fed and no taper tantrum likely anytime soon, uh, Biden is pouring the stimulus on. Recent stimulus checks are hitting. Companies yep. are going to face unbelievable year-over-year comps. You know, June quarter over yeah. June quarter. You know, it's got to be, you know, picture perfect. I think in the in the current quarter to really drive a lot of incremental upside. You know, it, and it, it, how much better than perfect can they be? That's the question. Apparently, not enough so far. <laughs> <laughs> so far, we'll see. So we'll far, see. not enough. Well. Walk, walk us through some of what I was kind of hinting at uh, with this yeah. improving economy, uh, you know, vaccination levels going higher, um, restrictions falling by the wayside more so in the U.S., not in a little bit in the U.K., not so much all of Europe or India. But walk us through the economic data that you were paying attention to. So the big, probably the biggest news this week, um, two things was the GDP for the first quarter and the FOMC. And the, the Fed's open market committee meeting, that, that's their, when they come out to the market and say, okay, here's, here's what's going on with interest rates. And <laughs> it was expected that nothing was going to be changed and nothing really was changed. And it was. Did you, how much, did you count how many times you heard your favorite word of 2021? Oh my God. Transitory. <laughs> like, <laughs> you imagine, I think if you did like a Fed drinking game of transitory, you probably wouldn't make it through the press conference. <laughs> Just saying. So. <laughs> It was, a, it, well, it would make the whole conference afterwards a little bit less of a snooze fest. This, this time yeah. it really was. But, but, um, but, but to be fair, 
we don't want it to be exciting. We want it no, to no. be boring. I, I long for when we really don't give a damn what the Fed has to say because they're not a major market mover. So I'm happy. <laughs> uh, the problem so, is now that the, the Fed is so what it, still so, a major market mover. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I was going to say, uh, looks like you'll be hanging on for that till 2023. Yeah, exactly. Um, so listening to the comments out of it, there was a few little changes. Um, the last meeting the Fed said that they can, can improving metrics had turned up recently. That's so basically confidence is getting a little bit better. Um, the prior meeting, the FOMC said that sectors most adversely affected by the pandemic remain weak. This time around, they said, but they've shown some improvement. Um, transient was just constant mentioned. Uh, I think one of the things that was really interesting is that Powell said directly from Powell, he said, for the economy as a whole, payroll employment is about 8.4 million below its pre-pandemic level. The unemployment rate remains elevated at 6% in March, and this figure understates the shortfall in employment, particularly as participation in the labor market remains notably below pre-pandemic levels. So again, that's something you and I talk about a lot, that um, the unemployment rate is actually one of the least useful metrics to look at. You wanna, really wanna look at where the labor force participation rate is. And that means how many people who could be working right there in the right age range are actually actively participating in the labor market. Either they have a job or they're looking to get a job. And that's really gone down a lot. And he also called out what we've been hearing a lot of is that um, the economic downturn has not fallen fully on all Americans. And those least able to shorter the burden have been the hardest hit. In particular, the high level of joblessness has been especially severe for low-wage workers in the service sector and for African-Americans and Hispanics. And that's something we've been hearing all around, that this has been this that K-shaped recovery. So let's just visit on this a second, because I, I hear what you're saying, that there are more people that are not working, right, mm -hmm. compared to the before the pandemic hit. But we're seeing companies now really poor on the earnings power, like, like we were talking about a few minutes ago. And even others like restaurants and the like, they are starting to put up positive view over your comparisons with fewer people. What are we to make of that? Well, it, it's basically what, what we saw, the pandemic really accelerated the trends that we were already seeing since the great financial crisis. Since then, Wages, we haven't seen a whole lot of impressive wage growth, right? What we have seen is incredible asset price inflation. So if you already own assets, if you're well invested in the stock market, if you own a home, those kinds of things are going up in price an awful lot. But if your overall financial condition is based on just your paycheck, those things haven't been moving a whole lot. And again, those jobs that are lowest paying were the jobs that were least able to shift into the kind of virtual world that we needed to shift into. And those businesses that were not businesses that could easily shift into the more virtual world, you know, more service businesses like a restaurant, like hair salons mm -hmm. and things like that. Those companies, those businesses, they were least able to do well during the pandemic and their employees were least able. So the people also who are kind of lower paid, the companies that they work for a lot of the time, those companies have also suffered the most. So it's kind of a one-two hit. Yeah, I, I think there's some blend in there of automation, uh, technology, yeah. and uh, and our, our, our favorite word, robots. Yep, the robots. 
but my robot <laughs> back in my floors. <laughs> okay, so so talk to me now about because I, I joked a little bit earlier that you're back in the U.S. You mm-hmm. were in Europe, but mm-hmm. clearly things are not the same. Oh my God, no! So flying, like leaving Europe and landing here, is just the most surreal experience. Um, in Italy, which is where I am most of the time, and my my family's over in Ireland. And it's still on a pretty severe lockdown. Now, while officially it's pretty severe, people are bloody sick and tired of it. So you do actually see a lot of white collar work still going on. And they're, they're allowing for the most part, um, like people to go to the office. You're supposed to do a lot more social distancing than people really are because everyone is sick of it. But like, when you're in Europe, airports, pretty empty. Not a whole lot going on there. And then I land in the U.S. It's like, oh my God, where are all these people coming from? And just, you could see the overall, just the way people move around and, and, and interact is just completely different. Europe is still scared and people are not, all, not nearly as much is going on economically than in the U.S. And GDP, really, the reports we got this week really told the same story. Um, the first quarter GDP estimate for the U.S. came in at a 6.4% quarter over quarter, and that's a little over 7% annualized. And that's after the fourth quarter of 2020 was up 1.6%. So that's two quarters in a row that are or actually three for the US that are doing really well. On the other end of the pond, you've got contraction, both the fourth quarter and the first quarter for most of the companies. Germany was the weakest, Spain was in contraction, Italy was in contraction. France was the only one of the major companies or countries that managed to do pretty well. But overall, the Eurozone was in negative territory. Um, What was interesting, though, looking at the U.S. is, first off, how great would GDP have really been if we didn't see a 60 percent surge in government benefits? Um, And if you want to put that on an annualized basis, that's a 550 percent increase in governments handing money out to people. Checks, baby, checks. Yep, to the, to the tune of about $6 trillion, right? So that's, uh, and what was interesting too, if we break down, looking at what the winners were, what areas really saw a lot of growth in the, in the domestic economy that had the economy from 2019 kind of continued on at a fairly stable basis. If you look at the, the contrast there, it's really interesting. Like people are just buying an insane amount of recreational goods. Um, if we were to assume 2019, those sectors grew kind of everybody about 2%-ish. Instead, you saw a 26% increase in recreational goods. That's just incredible. Um, furnishings and durable household equipment, right? People buying couches, they're buying new appliances. But again, still, the people doing this, these, still? yep, in the first quarter, boom, well, there's, there's definitely, there's more of a shift. Like people who have spent so much time in their home that even if maybe you're thinking of going to the office a bit more, home has really gotten a different focus and that's still getting a lot of money. But again, think about who's doing this, who the residential investment, um, information processing equipment. So these are all the areas that did, that did well during the pandemic or households where the income generation what didn't get that affected or nearly as affected as it did for people who are, say, working in a retail store? I can neither confirm nor deny rehabbing of cabinets might be underway in some locations. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, people, people looked at their houses and said, all right, spend a lot of time here, got to fix it. Um, yes. I think another thing that was interesting coming out of this GDP report was 
you know, all this talk about inflation. Really? Mm. Okay. So let's look at the GDP. The best that the core PCE deflator could do, um, that's a personal consumption expenditure deflator could do, was to rise at a 2.3% annual rate. Okay, that's not inflation out of the ballpark. And the year-over-year trend is up to just like 1.6%. It was at 1.4% last quarter. And this time back in 2020, it was actually at 1.8%. So, you know, again, inflation's... And that... and that, what's really interesting is if you look at that, look at what's going on with that number, and then look at what's going on with input costs, the um, base metals up over 50%, textiles up nearly 20%, raw oh. industrial prices up nearly 30%. And at this point, that's all we were getting? Hmm. Well, it's going to be interesting, you know, because during the earnings season, we saw a number of companies, you know, Chipotle, Whirlpool, um, Procter and Gamble, um, I'm trying to think of another, uh, competitor Procter and Gamble, uh, Kimberly Clark, they're all announcing price increases in the high single digits to low double digits for a variety of products. And they're saying, well, we've got to combat, you know, COVID incremental COVID costs year over year. We've got to combat rising input costs. And there are certain inputs as we know, like lumber that are just through the roof. It's going to be oh, very yeah. interesting to see if these price increases stick. And to what extent they are able to uh, overcome raw material, other input prices. Because as I look at it, to me, looking forward, I'm, I'm really wondering about the margin impact and the bottom line impact from this dynamic input cost price increases. It's going to be interesting to watch. Well, and just how long lasting those input costs are, because like we've said, you had a transitory. Yeah, I mean, the supply, global supply chain just got, got completely... I mean, shake it up like nobody's business. It's going to take well, a bit hey, for it to all settle down. According to Clorox, you can now get Clorox wipes. So, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, some some other good news we got in the economy was the initial jobless claims still doing good. So week after week, those initial jobless claims are coming in at new lows. We like to see that trend. Um, one of the other things that was really interesting, and we we heard this kind of seconded uh, by car manufacturers this past week, was that. Uh, according to data from Edmonds, trade-in values for used cars rose to a record high of, this is kind of the median, of $17,080 in March. That's a 20.8% year-over-year increase with inventory of used cars down 36% year-over-year. That's not, that's not, you know, when I hear that, and we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit, you know, Ford has said repeatedly throughout the March quarter that they were having to idle uh, production lines and some others yeah. did too. So it's not that surprising that, you know, people would be looking for used cars because the amount of cars that are going to be on lots is probably going to be lower than what people were expecting, but still it's a good time to sell your car if you got one. Yep. Te- yeah. The d- inventory just is so tight. So how about move on to just a little, we'll try to do a little quick recap on um, what earnings last week. And last <laughs> week, I'll try to be quick. Last week, it was really a lot about uh, tech. Uh, it was, it was, yeah, it, go ahead. It was a yeah, lot of tech. Keep... Amazon was the last of the big five uh, tech stocks to report earnings and like the others, blew it away, knocked out ballpark. Yeah. Um, of the of the other four, Facebook and Alphabet gained ground, but Apple and Microsoft actually pulled back on strong earnings. And like you were saying, I mean, talk to me about Apple. Apple was such a freaking knock it out of the ballpark and still mm-hmm. 
What have I you done for me lately? Well, I think we can tie it to the following words. Um, for the current quarter, the company forecasts strong double-digit year-over-year growth, but quarter-over-quarter decline will be greater than prior quarters due to, and here it is, iPhone supply demand balances. So they, I, what I suspect they're doing is what they usually do, right? They're being purposely nebulous, and they might be p- playing a little too much into the spillover of chips, uh, the chip shortage from the automotive industry. And I say that because in a little bit, we're pulling something forward here, Ford said that they actually see the auto chip shortage correcting towards the back half of the current quarter. So I don't think it's going to be really all that bad. But remember, too, that the second quarter, June quarter for Apple, is one of the seasonally weakest for the company. It's really the back half of the year when they once again introduce new iPhone models that will really see a huge push. And remember, too, compared to uh, 2020, the new lineup is going to push the percentage of 5G product even higher across the entire iPhone portfolio. And yes, those are likely to carry higher ASPs. So Apple is going to be just fine. The 5G upgrade. And it's really amazing when you consider how massive Apple is that it can still generate this level of growth. That's not not what Tim Cook says. We're a tiny little company. We can only do, (laughs) we can only, we can only make certain investments. Please. So, (laughs) so bigger than most countries. I know. So, um, you're right about Apple. Uh, Amazon just crushed it across the board. Uh, Guidance was better than expected. Uh, We saw, you know, similar results at uh, cybersecurity companies like Fortinet, you know, where their service revenue was up double digits, uh, product sales were up double digits, billings were up double digits. It's just unbelievable. But remember, too, and we'll see more of this next week about cybersecurity companies. You and I believe, Lenore, that cybersecurity is a growth market because of the pain points that are created with the increasingly connected society that we live in. More points that are vulnerable, more cybersecurity spending. So more stuff goes online, more stuff steals. <laughs> correct, correct. Or mess with. So, or <laughs> yeah, pirate or whatever. But yeah. anyway, we, we were talking about Ford. And, you know, when they reported, they, they reported, you know, good March quarter results. But I, I think what happened was they. Well, they, EPS was was more than four times estimates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I yeah, think that people, seems like it should be. It was pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I think people were pricing in the worst or baking in a, the worst yeah. in terms of EPS for the quarter. But it was the cut in their EBIT yeah. guidance that was from eight, eight to nine billion down to five point five to six point five. That is a hatchet taking out expectations if I ever saw it. I mean, that's but, 40-ish percent. I mean, that's just amazing. It's massive. It's massive. And what's, what's fascinating about that is Volkswagen sales up in March of 53%. I, I, I could not believe it. Up 21% for the March quarter. Even Chinese uh, EV company Neo, I mean, their sales were up almost, I can't even believe this number, 500% year over year, almost. Unbelievable. A more modest, I believe it was up uh, mid-teens uh, compared to the December quarter because they've been ramping so strongly over the last several quarters. But it, it's amazing that Ford is having such problems. And I think what it ties back to is that they are really tied to the auto chip supplier Renaissance that had a fab fire early in the quarter. You know, e- Even on their uh, conference call, 
Ford was saying that Renaissance serves about two thirds of the auto chip market. I see this as huge opportunity for companies like NXP semiconductors that also serve that market in a very big way. I would not be surprised if NXP, which reported wonderful, wonderful results across all its major segments, including auto for the March quarter, comes out of this fiasco a net share gainer. Oh, you've got to imagine other chip makers that are not anywhere near as dominant in the auto sector. They're going to have customers saying, okay, we need we need to be less dependent on this one on one company. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be great for those guys. Now, you were uh, saying something about Alphabet, Google, and productivity. Yeah, so um, one of the interesting things uh, is Alphabet reported that it saved about um, almost two hundred seventy million in expenses from company promotions, travel, and entertainment during the March quarter compared to 2020. And on top of that, the past like week, we've heard that many of the big banks have been talking about how they have a duty to actually not go back to the pre-COVID levels of of travel. Um, Part is the environment. They're, you know, as we're moving more ESG, they're trying to reduce their carbon footprint. And part of it is to shareholders in saying like, look, we've learned how to live without all this business travel. If we can reduce our expenses, that's in the best interest of shareholders. So it's kind of a two-pronged thing. And you look at that and think, okay, so this does not bode well for the travel sector because the business travel is really where they make their money, not on vacation travel. Oh, absolutely. Same thing with the airlines. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, the whole airlines yeah, and yeah. hotels, it's all about business travel. It's not really, I mean, holidays, yes, but your real bread and butter is those business travelers. Well, I think, you know, I, I'm going to pull something forward. You know, I, I think next week when we hear from Hilton, Hyatt, and mm-hmm. Avis, it's going to be interesting to see what they see as the economy reopens. If they're forecasting things to get back to uh, 2019 levels, just like a lot of the restaurants either have already said or have already yeah done. So I, I think that's going to be something to watch. But let's let, let's just talk about that little elephant in the room that we alluded to earlier, um, which was that, you know, even though handset shipments were stronger than expected, you know, Qualcomm put up great numbers, they upped their 5G smartphone forecast, Skyworks, revenues in the March quarter up 53% year over year. I mean, how much better does it have to get? They only beat EPS by two cents. And they, they guided in line. So you would say, that's a pretty solid quarter. That was pretty good. But they missed this whisper number that had EPS expectations even higher than the published number. And this, yeah. this, is, where, this is where it gets uh, dangerous because you know, consensus EPS numbers are out there. You can get them on Yahoo Finance. You can get them on Bloomberg First Call. But they're not really. <laughs> well, That's like the official. It's not necessarily yeah, no, 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 no. What, what the market's you're, you're, really looking for. Exactly right. That's these whisper numbers. And those are much harder to come by. Um, You know, so it's tricky, tricky, tricky. But, you know, what I would suggest to folks is when you see something like this with the Skyworks, when we know they have a tremendous tailwind behind their back, given their given their business and they're putting up huge numbers. When a stock sells off after that, that to me signals an opportunity to revisit potentially adding or buying that name if you don't already own it. And here's the thing. 
Also last week, the company talked about acquiring the auto and infrastructure business from Silicon Labs. That to me says they are leaning head and shoulders into 5G because you and I know, Lenore, that the connected car, autonomous driving, and infrastructure are key growth markets with 5G. It's not just smartphones. And also those EVs, um, electric vehicles, they require roughly three times as many chips as a combustion engine. Yeah, yeah. Now The demand is going up. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the, the other example of Sorry, I, I didn't live up to what you were expecting was Twitter. Now, again, good results for the most part. They, they missed a little bit on their global uh, MAUs, but the guidance, just not as robust as people are expecting. And that stock got hit. Now, the difference here is that, well, I can get behind Skyworks. I don't think I can get behind Twitter. I just don't think I can do it. Well, they lost the tweeter in chief. <laughs> El Trumpy. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess that, you know, I was waiting for him to come out after the Twitter results and see, I told you folks, horrible company without me. You need me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So that was last week. This week, we are going to try and go fast because there are 1500 companies reporting. It is going to be busy and it's going to be out of control. So First off, let's just try and group a few things together. Um, you know, a number of earnings reports are going to be had that should provide additional color on the speed of the reopening over the coming quarters. Uh, you know, the ones that we're going to be watching uh, as regards to this Uber, Lyft, Hilton, Hyatt Hotels, Avis Budget, as we said before, and XPO Logistics. Because as you know, Lenore, if stuff is moving, the economy is rocking. Yes. <laughs> How's that for insight? What he said. Um, The second one is, uh, you know, we've got the combination of, you know, improving employment, stimulus checks, consumer spending, and contactless payments. Is it all coming together? And the results from PayPal and Square will let us know. Those are the big groups. But as we really ease into the, you know, drink from the fire hose, um, let's talk about a couple of specifics. Uh, On Monday, it's going to be, this is going to be one to watch. Um, and I'm not saying that, Lenore, because you're my gal pal. Here we go. As the pandemic restrictions continue to ease and people slowly return to the office, we know, Lenore, that personal grooming will quickly come back into vogue. So wait, we got to start showering? <laughs> showering, you know, makeup. maybe clean your hair, makeup, yep. want to smell good, want to look so, good. So, That's exactly right. And, and, if they're preparing for this snapback, we'll, we're going to want to watch not only what they report, but really what their inventory levels are. Are they rising yeah. in anticipation of greater demand? So that's one we're going to want to watch. Uh, another one, again, we all know that the shift to digital learning has happened. It's been great for Chegg. Uh, but how does that company see students learning? And I'm talking modality here through the summer and then into the fall as a lot of schools start to reopen and, you know, kids of all ages, myself included, get ready to return to the classroom. And I'm going to be looking at XPO Logistics. Um, One of the things I want to hear from them is they apparently are driving an electric truck through real world situations uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area over the next nine months um, and are going to be giving feedback to company producers at Daimler. Um, on how the EV rig performs. 
and the truck is going to be charged overnight with a company we talk a lot about with ChargePoint Charger. Mm-hmm, uh, the, mm-hmm. They've also been doing some interesting things with AI in shipping. The company announced that over 400,000 downloads for the XPO Connect app that uses machine learning to analyze data history and market conditions within seconds and helping shippers and carriers get smarter about buying and selling capacity more efficiently in real time. That's That goes back to what you and I have been talking about with how the pandemic it puts such strain, but it really pushed hard on getting smarter, on using AI, on using automation to make better decisions, cut costs, use assets, use resources more efficiently. Now, those are the ones we're watching on Monday. <laughs> yeah, so, Monday. So, so Tuesday, a little more rapid fire. We're going to have Camping World. And look, the camping industry has been on fire. Do they continue to see that as perhaps people return to more normalized vacationing? We've also got Pfizer, Ferrari, Under Armour, Activision. Uh, McAfee, which is a cybersecurity company, is going to report they should be benefiting, um, unfortunately, from the higher profile hacks earlier in the year. But why I really want to pay attention to this report in particular is they sold their enterprise-facing business to a private equity group during quarter. What are they going to do with the proceeds? Will they go on an M&A spree? What about a special dividend? That's what I want to know. Um, Tuesday also has Match and Zillow. Brings us to Wednesday. Um, as we were talking about earlier, Ford reported last week, says it sees the worst of the auto chip shortage ending sometime uh, later in the current quarter. We're going to want to look for confirmation from General Motors that reports on Wednesday. We also want to hear more about its EV strategy. Um, Wednesday also brings results from lumber liquidators. And look, housing data, we know it's been strong year over year. But as we were talking about earlier with rising inputs, we're concerned about the surge in lumber prices and what it may mean for housing affordability going forward. We're going to check in with lumber. (laughs) They go from not affordable to really, 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 are you kidding me, not affordable? Well, I want to see how transitory they see this rise in input prices. Yeah. That's going to be the real thing. And then we've got Etsy as well. And then just going hands in hand with what we said about uh, Estee Lauder, um, Weight Watchers reports on Wednesday. And um, look, COVID-19. Not going to. COVID. No, oh, OK. I was, I was thinking COVID was in 2020. What do you mean 19? I, COVID-19 that we all put yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> look, I know. I know. And look. I'm going to speak for myself. I, I would not think to speak for you. Um, swimsuit season's coming up, and this boy's got to get, get in a little bit of shape if he doesn't want to be embarrassing. So <laughs> I'm suspecting that I'm not the only person, and I don't mean that with you. I just mean people in general. Um, you know. But following the pandemic, is that supposition right that a lot of people have to get in shape for the holidays, sorry, for the summer uh, swimsuit season? We'll find out. Now, that was Wednesday. Thursday, Lenore, what are we watching? One of your favorite companies. You, I, you must. I, I, I think you single-handedly support them in Amazon. That's what I think. I really do. Yeah. Pel- Peloton. Yeah. I, I definitely, I think I'm, I've got to be the only person who's actually brought a Peloton bike all the way to Italy. It, it costs now, hang, more to hang get on, the bike hang there on, than the on, bike cost you, itself. You make that sound like you carried it on your back, which we both know you didn't do. No, FedEx did it. And, um, <laughs> yeah, let's just say I'm still in chats with FedEx about how good of a job they did. <laughs> um, All right. So, so what? So what are you? What, what are you looking for? So with with Peloton, one of the things I want to hear from them, and this really goes to kind of a, a more of a macro picture, is 
their CEO actually even got to the point where he sent out uh, emails to all Peloton people saying, look, we're doing our best. We're trying to get these, these bikes and treadmills out to you, but shipping complexity is just through the roof and costs are, are outrageous. And he was saying that the shipping costs had become many, many multiples of what they normally were and that they were just sucking it up and, and going to deal with it. What are they seeing now? You know, I'm, I'm looking to see anybody talking about, all right, shipping is starting to normalize. Um, I also want to hear what are they seeing in like way out there? What are they seeing the trends? Is there a slowdown or is, as I kind of wonder, are people just going to get mu- a lot more comfortable? The, the people who would buy a Peloton, are they just going to get more comfortable with doing this all from home? Because one of the interesting things we're seeing with Peloton is kind of similar to what you saw with Facebook, where you kind of have these network effects. The more people who are on a Peloton, the more people end up being on it because you just hear about it so much. You start feeling like, Mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta go check this out. Well, I I'm curious to what, you know, if you look across the internet and other forms of social media, you're seeing a lot of competing devices come out, right? So they have the bike, they have the tread, but we're seeing, um, you know, the connected mirrors that are giving you workouts, rowing machines, versa climbers, all that are connected and with classes. So I, I want to know, do they see these as competitors or, you know, they have been on a little bit of an acquisition, yeah, they bought pre-core. acquisition spree, yep. right? So is there, is there a chance that they might be warming up to do oh, some more M and a, so after also on Thursday, um, we've got Axon, we've got beyond me, Carvana, planet fitness, how kind of gym having no grunt zone? I don't understand that. Um, and then the other big one to watch is going to be is going to be Universal Display. This is the company that sells the chemicals that makes organic light emitting diode displays. Those are the beautiful displays you see on your smartphones. We want to understand what is the roadmap for them in terms of more smartphone models. Yes, but also the roadmap to other applications beyond automotive interior lighting. The holy grail is general illumination. That's the kind you have in your home or in the office. So what is that timetable? Lenore, I'm going to pitch it to you. All right. Economics next this week. This could be the rapid fire. <laughs> rapid boom, fire boom. Let's so, go. All right. Coming week, Monday, we're looking for the final market and ISM. That's market, not that's market IT and ISM manufacturing PMFMIs for April to see you know, how strong are these? And so far, we've been seeing that sector has just been knocking it out of the ballpark. Uh, construction spending, where is it? Residential versus anybody interested in building an office space around here? <laughs> um, Tuesday brings total vehicle sales. And you know, in light of what we've been seeing with all the week inventory, what's going on that? So what happened in April with vehicle sales? Wednesday, now that's gonna be the highlight of the, the, the actually more the the, preview of the Friday's labor report with the ADP employment report. So how, how good was it in April? We know it was good. Was it really, really good? And also where are the jobs coming in? Because again, what we have been seeing is that that K-shaped where the higher income, those jobs come along a lot faster than the, the, the lower paid jobs. Um, we'll also be getting service sector from market and ISM service sector clearly has been dragging behind the manufacturing. You know, that's people actually physically in because it's service, more in touch. How, how much better has that been getting? 
Uh, Thursday, we get the usual initial jobless claims, hoping to see that continue to improve and non-farm productivity for Q1. Um, expect to see a bit of a downturn in productivity because as we've seen employment really ramp up when, when people get hired, you these things, if you think about it, it's kind of makes sense when you see a cut to payrolls, you know, when companies panic and payrolls get cut, productivity tends to go up because, oh, you just fired a bunch of my coworkers and I don't want to lose my job. I have to now do their work and I'm going to work my butt off because I don't want to lose my job. Productivity tends to go up when you see um, employment go down. And conversely, when you hire a bunch of people back on, it takes a bit for ramping up. So productivity tends to take a hit. Friday, it'll be the big report of the week. That's the non-farm payroll report, which is expected to see an increase of 925,000 jobs after an increase of 916 in March. And again, we'll be looking for where are the strong sectors. Now, catch your breath. That was quite a bit. Let me handle this next part, which is at the end of the week, we're going to recommend that folks really revisit the GDP expectations for the June quarter that are put out by both the Atlanta Fed and the New York Fed, because this is the first real solid set of not only April data, but solid data for the start of the second quarter. Exactly right. So when you look at those expectations today, they, there is a step down compared to that 6.4% for the March quarter. The question will be, are we going to start to see that rise? And if so, by how much? And that, Lenore, with that, that that's the week ahead. Cut the check. Mm-hmm. <laughs>